I might have to leave my hurdle here because I'm taking Kyle back with us so he can teach our son how to play this thing up here. So uh, I don't know if you guys can do uh, go without him for a little bit, but certainly want to try to. Um, I used to have a pastor, he'd always talk about getting the bus and taking the group, so we might have to take the whole group. But uh, certainly want to find out more on how to play that thing so uh, we can get, uh, get that in our, our, our band. But I do want to thank you guys for letting me come, although I don't think you guys really had any say on me coming. But thanks anyway for at least listening to me. And I have known, like uh, Andrew talked about with uh, Dr. Adams, known him for since about 2000, I guess. And when I first met him, I didn't like him. So, um, but since then, we've become really good friends. And, you know, it, uh, it's just awesome to be able to come and to kind of try to fill his shoes or at least be in, be in his church. But... I was thought he was going to be here today, and when he uh, put something on my Facebook last night that he wasn't, I kind of breathed a sigh of relief in a way, because I was even going to be more nervous if he was going to be sitting out there. But he did send his love. He said, make sure my church knows how much that he loves you guys, and uh, I guess he's getting in tonight about 6, 6.30. So he'll be back filling, filling this place next, next Sunday, um, I think, I guess, Wednesday and then, then Sunday. So, but we... Um, we're going to look at something in Hebrews. We are going to talk about running the race. I'm not going to jump over this hurdle, and I'm not going to ask anybody else to jump over this hurdle. So if you're, you're afraid, I'm going to ask for volunteers. Don't worry about that. I'm not going to have you guys come up and, and do that. But I do want to start off, and I want to kind of throw three names out there and, and kind of show some, some similarity between these three, three, uh, three past preachers. So I'm going to see here that... Um, all right, so I'm just going to tell you the names because they're not going to show up behind me. Is that right? Oh, here we go. So here are these three people and these three, three guys. First of all, you see Chuck Templeton, Brian Clifford, and Billy Graham. Um, and these three, some of you guys may be familiar, obviously, with, with Billy Graham, but the first two, that Chuck Templeton and Brian Clifford, back in the 40s, which I wasn't born back then, but I've read and found out about these guys, that they were some of the hottest preachers around in, in the United States. And they were all in their mid-20s. They started out together and there was a lot of similarities. But within about five years, Chuck Templeton um, actually left the church um, and became an atheist. Um, so we see this change just over, over five years for him. And then for Brian Clifford, within ten years of that, and he was actually described, people had lined up for hours to, to hear him preach, says that he had touched more lives, influenced more leaders, and set more attendance records than any other preachers in American history. But within 10 years after that was said about him, um, because of his addiction to alcohol, he lost his ministry, his family, and eventually lost his life. Um, but we know with Billy Graham, just turned 93, I believe, that he has preached over 215 million people in about 183 or 85 countries. And what I want to talk today about, it's not about how we start, it's about finishing strong. It's about finishing this race that God has called us to, this plan that He has for us. It's about finishing strong because we all go through these periods where sometimes we have these different struggles. And I think we can look here in, in Hebrews chapter 12 and we can learn some things from these verses about how important it is from, for us. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to open up to Hebrews chapter 12, I think I do have the words on the, on the screen, but we're just going to look at two verses and we're going to look to see what, um, what the author has for us today. Starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders 
and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, it is exciting to be in your house today, to be able to worship you through song and offering. And Now I just pray right now that you would just speak through me, Lord, just to use me, um, Lord, just to uh, not only open up my heart, Lord, and what you have for, um, for me, but also for those in front of me. Lord, I pray that we would realize um, this journey that we're on, on together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was thinking about that bio, and, and Dr. Adams had asked me to send some information about, about myself, and I was thinking, you know what, it's not very impressive. Um, and I'm not very impressive. Um, when I got ordained, they asked me, so what are we going to call you? Are we going to call you a pastor, brother? I'm like, how about Andy? So um, that's who I am. My name's Andy Bramer. And when we look at Hebrews, and so many times when I preach, the reason I love to, whether I'm sitting down with students or whether I'm preaching, because... I don't know, for you Sunday school teachers or, or people that are leaders, you know how much you get from actually studying. And for me, so often, I wish I could just sit out there and, and listen because he's got so much for us. But one thing about Hebrews, before we kind of break it down, it's one of the only things, or the only book in the New Testament that we're not 100% sure who the author is. Um, now, if you have a King James Bible, Bible, it may actually say in there, the Epistle of Paul, um, he is one of the potential authors, but there's some differences in Hebrews that we're not 100% sure that he's the author, but um, we know it's inspired by God. There's so much good stuff in here that we can see so much truth, and there's at least three things that we're going to talk about today. The first thing out of verse, verse 1, it says, Since we are surrounded by this, such a great cloud of witnesses, that one, that we are encouraged from those who have run the race, that we are encouraged from those who have run the race. And if you just flip back one chapter to um, chapter 11, you see what a lot of people call this faith hall of fame. Um, starting in, there in verse 4, it says, By faith Abel, by faith Enoch, in 5, in 7, by faith Noah, in 8, by faith Abraham. And he goes through this whole list of these different men and women of faith that we can look back and that we can be encouraged by. We can see the example that, that they left for us and that we can even kind of... Um, look at their mistakes, but also look at their successes. Um, so when we, we see these stories, they're not just to entertain us, they're actually to, to encourage us, to give us hope. But when we read Scripture, one of the things I always love to do is try to put myself in those stories, try to put myself in what's going on as, as I am watching those struggles. You look at Enoch, he, he was in there because all it says about him, he was someone that walked with God. Um, we don't know a lot about him, but we know that he walked with God. So this great cloud of witnesses, one that that's kind of surround us, they give us this encouragement. Paul says in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, he says, For everything, and this is why it's so important that when we look at Scripture, because every word is important. It says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through encouragement, through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So we can look to Scriptures and we know that, that everything that's in here is important. How many times are we tempted as we're reading, we come across some words that we have trouble understanding? Or we come to those genealogies, those long lists of those things, and we're thinking, you know what, I'm not going to read that today, I'm just going to skip over it. But we have to ask ourselves, God put it there for a reason, 
He didn't just want us to, to skip over it, so it's there. Just like this Faith Hall of Fame and this cloud of witnesses that we can learn from their mistakes. We can learn from their past. But for us, it's important to realize that they left their past in their past. Those, maybe those shortcomings that they had or those things they wish they wouldn't have done or those things they wish they would have done. Um, we can't live in the past. We live in, in the present. But there's also a great cloud of witnesses right here. If you look around at each other and realize that we are all on the same, we're shooting for the same goal. That one, that we are, we are here together to try to get this word from God, to see what He has for us today, to see how... Uh, one of the things I always try to do when, when we look at Scripture, not only to find out what it said, what it meant, but what's it mean to me? How can I leave this place and be a better, better father? How can I be a better employer? How can I be a better brother? How can I be a better husband? How can I be, you know, how does it affect me today? So this great cloud of witnesses when we see this, but sometimes those times come that we, find, we feel that we're, we're all alone. We feel that, you know what, I'm the only one that, that cares about this. Or I'm the only one that wants to do this. Elijah we just finished this uh, series with our students about Elijah. And you can go back in 1 Kings chapter 18, 19, and you can see the story about, about Elijah. And, and he asked God to do this amazing thing, and he, he has the, um, these prophets of Baal. And there's this struggle going on between you've got Elijah and you've got these prophets of Baal. And Elijah's like, we're going to settle this once and for all. So he calls them together. He says, you get all your people. And he's like, I'm going to be there. And you call on your God. And I'm going to call on my God. And we're going to see who that true God is. Um, so he says, you know what? You guys go first. So they, they throw this bull on there. And they, they get it ready. And they start dancing around. They start yelling to their God, trying to call down fire on this bull to burn up this, this sacrifice. Well, nothing happens. They keep going. They get a little bit louder. And Elijah's like making fun of him. He said, you know what? You're going to have to get even louder because maybe your God's asleep. So they get louder. They get louder. They start cutting themselves. And they start trying to get something to happen, but nothing happens. So then Elijah steps up, and the first thing he does, he prepares the altar. He gets the rocks on there. He gets the wood on there. He gets the bull on there. He tells them to fill up water and fill up water all around there. He says, take more water and put more water on there. And then take more water and put more water on there. And then he prays, and he asks God. He says, now it's your turn. God calls down fire, burns up the, the, the bull the wood, the rocks, the water, and Elijah is like on fire for Christ. He's just got back from camp. He feels so good. He can't wait, you know, to go out and tell somebody. Well, the next day, this woman shows up. She's trying to kill him. And you find Elijah under a tree saying, I am the only one. I'm ready to die. I'm going to give up. All this happens in the span of about 24 to 48 hours. Why are we like that? Why can we be on so on fire one day and then the next day, two days later, or maybe it's a week, maybe it's a month, we're ready to give up? One, I think if we look and realize, you know what, there are these mountaintop experiences that we have. We see the disciples on the mountaintop with, when Jesus is transfigured. They come down, they find the other disciples arguing. Um, and we go through that in life. But we're encouraged from this great cloud of witnesses. My wife and I like to watch NASCAR. Any other NASCAR fans out here? I know we had a couple. Yeah, yeah. So um, she's a Joey Logano fan. I don't really hold that against her. I t well, I'm a Tony Stewart fan because I work for Office Depot. All right. So, um, but one other thing, and we call it nap car because on Sundays, you know, you like to see the beginning. You take that nap in the middle and it's so long you can get up from your nap and still see the, the end. 
But the thing about on NASCAR, they've got these radios that uh, the drivers are wearing inside their helmets and the crew chiefs have got them and they're constantly communicating with them. They're constantly telling them, you can do this, you can do this, you've got this. You know, you've got this much fuel left. You're going to have to, to do this to get, to get through. And in a way, these, these cloud of witnesses that we are encouraged from, one, we hear them saying, they're not at the finish line waiting for us. They're yelling at us as we're going through this, this plan that God has for us. You can do this. You can do this. And that's how we need to be for each other. We need to be there helping one another instead of trying to tear somebody down. We need to try to encourage them and say, you can do this. We can do this together. So the first thing I think we can see from here, this great cloud of witnesses, we can be encouraged from their example. We can, we can go back and see, you know what? One of the guys that came up after the first service said he feels he's a lot like um, Jonah because Jonah ran from God. I think I'm a lot like Peter. Peter's always saying things, doing things, and they're like, why did you do that? Um, but So we can be encouraged by these, these great men and women of faith as we're on this together. But the second thing that we can see is that we have, been, we have to be disciplined to run the race. Disciplined to run the race. And we talk a lot about discipleship in the church. We talk about how important discipleship is. One of my favorite classes after I started liking Dr. Adams was youth discipleship. You can tell him that. He knew I didn't like him at first. I don't think he liked me, but we're all, we're all good. But youth discipleship and just the importance of you know, setting down one-on-one and actually at our church today, they're talking about discipleship today and talking about that it's not a program, but it's a process. But when we look at discipleship and it comes from discipline, it's so important, one, that we see a lot of times that discipline is missing from our lives. It's missing from the homes. It's missing from schools, and a lot of times it's missing from church. I, want, I got this picture I want you to see. This is from 1960 that um, shows these, kind of hard to see, but it's got uh, mom and dad, they're yelling at the kid with an F. Maybe some of you guys can remember getting that. Maybe you didn't have an F, so you didn't get yelled at. Um, I got one F in school, and I probably got yelled at. But see, they're yelling at the kid. Now you fast forward to today, they're yelling at the teacher. Now all of a sudden, it's not the kid's fault, it's the teacher's fault. What'd you do to my son? What'd you do to my daughter? Why'd she get an F? Why'd he get an F? Instead of dealing with the, the one that needs to be dealt with. It's always about blaming someone else. It's, all, it's never our fault. It's always someone else's fault. But we have to realize that this discipline, and the author talks about here, he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. A lot of times we think right away he's talking about sin. But... And if, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, it says, let us throw off everything that hinders. He's not talking about sin there. He's talking about everything. With this hurdle I brought in today, I wanted us to look at that and ask kind of ourselves, what are these hurdles in our life that, that are causing us to sin? Or causing us to really, if we look at, because there's so much good stuff out there, that we, sometimes we need to learn to be able to say no. Because Dr. Adams, and I, t- I tell my wife, and she laughs at me a lot, because even if I had a bunch of stuff to do, I'd have figured out some way that I could have been here because I can't tell him no. Anybody else feel that way when he asks you to do something? Um, if he hasn't got that way yet, maybe it's just, it's just me. But sometimes we have to be willing to say no to something that's good because there may be something better that God is waiting for us. If we're one of those kind of people that think we have to do everything, if we're not willing to say no, then we keep somebody else from actually experiencing a blessing. Somebody else from being able to use their gift 
where we think that we have to, to do it all. So we have to ask ourselves, what are these hurdles? What are these things? In a race, they train themselves so well that they're not even really in the way. It's, it's amazing how they can go and it's just, you know, they just go over it. Every once in a while they might kind of tip it. Um, but in our life, there are things that sometimes really cause us to stumble, cause us to, to get away from what God wants us to be doing than, um, than what we should be doing. But he is also talking about sin as well because he not only, first of all, talking about throw off everything that, that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And Paul takes it a step further in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. There's a lady from our, our church that... Um, We've known her for probably 10 years, I think. When I uh, first met her, she was a freshman in, in high school. She was one of our leaders at the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at school. And, um, you know, I met her one Sunday afternoon at a football game. And I said, well, how was church today? Because she didn't go to our church. And she said, I don't go to church. Um, so she was leading this life at school, which is kind of opposite. A lot of times you see students that, that go to church and they do all these things. But when it comes to school, they leave their faith at home. But this girl was kind of the opposite. She was... She was being a Christian leader at school, but she wasn't even a Christian in real life. Um, but she started going to church. She got saved and baptized and has been one of our leaders. But here within the last few months, she called me up and said, I need to take a step back. I need to take a step back. I've gotten involved in some things that I just don't feel that I'm really worthy to be a leader. Um, and being kind of on the outside, we can look at that and say, well, it's so easy what you need to do. It's so obvious. Just quit it. Just stop it. Don't do it. But sometimes when we're that person, it's so hard. Uh, we may see it, but because we feel this pressure from the world, and we look around at what's going on in, in her life, and we can do that same thing in our life, and you know, we feel those pressures because, one, it's hard. Even though the Bible says do not conform to the world, um, that's hard. Following Jesus is hard, but we can get through it when we allow the Holy Spirit to live through us, when we allow Jesus to live, live through us. We look at athletes and, and what they do today, and you know they train year-round, you know, whether it's even in middle school sometimes, but especially high school and college. And um, I saw Tom Jurek sitting out there earlier, and I'm glad I didn't see him there at first, because um, I wasn't going to make fun of U of L, but it would have made, you know, could have been, could have been uncomfortable, because um, I am from Indiana, I root for the Hoosiers, but um, we look at athletes and how much they train um, for their sport. How come we don't do that? How come we think we can just get up, start the day, and you know, say, I'm ready, let's bring it on? But we know there's so much more. We have to be disciplined to be able to run this race that God has laid out for us. Um, the rest of verse 1, it talks about, it says, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And John Piper talks about these examples of coasting Christians, I'm sorry, in, in, in Scripture. And sometimes we are guilty of that. Andrew talked about that I used to be a bike racer. I used to shave my legs and I would, um, you know, have those tight pants and, you know, things like that. So some of you guys are getting this weird, you know, picture in your mind of what I look like on my bike. But one of the things that you can do when you ride is you can coast. If you get tired, you just stop pedaling. You can keep rolling along. Uh, if you're coming downhill, you can just quit pedaling. You can, you know, sometimes even ride your brakes to slow down. But we can't do that with our walk with Christ. Because if we start coasting, we start thinking, you know what, I'm good, I got this. Then we become this target for Satan. 
We start thinking, it can't happen to me. I would never fall into that. I would never allow myself to be a part of that. But when we start coasting, we start seeing, and, and the, this author, he, he kind of uses two different sections in here about these examples. And if you want to flip in your Bible, um, I don't think I've actually got it up there, so I'll read it, read it to you. It's in chapter 10, verses 32 through 34, so just a couple chapters back. But he says, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. So we see this example of this, remember, this is what you used to do. And then in chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, says, In fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So we see these examples from Scripture. Here, this church that was coasting that was just kind of going through the motions. And a lot of times what we do, we kind of see how close we can get to the edge, um, but yet still stay on, on the right side. And I think one of the things, and I've heard Dr. Adams say this before, what we ought to ask, be asking ourselves, how does this make me look more like Christ? How does this make me more like Christ? So maybe when we look at these hurdles, whether it's sin, something that, we're, that we know we need to throw off, that we need to get rid of, um, we need to ask ourselves, is this really making us more like Christ? Because if it's not, we need to just get rid of it. It says right there to throw it off, to um, whether it's the sin or anything else, but yet we need to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. One of the things about when we get into um, to racing, there are these corner marshals. These, these corner marshals, and what they usually do is they'll stand there and they'll kind of direct, the, whether direct the traffic or they'll, they'll tell the people, you know, you need to go this way, you need to go that way. But this, mark, this race that's marked out for us, the thing about it is, we don't always see what's happening. My wife is, is one of the most organized persons I know. She, like, makes lists. Whenever it gets time, like before we came up here, she was making a list. I need to get the directions. I need to get this. I need to get that. Um, but God doesn't always work with us that way. We want a list so we know exactly what's happening, but what God does, He gives us this. He says, sign it. You trust me for what you want us, for what I want you to do. And that's where we see, because one, the, the third out of this part here is we have to exercise faith to even run the race. We have to be willing to step out and trust him. Look at verse 2 and back in chapter 12. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us fix our eyes on, on Jesus. In um, about 1997, um, that's when I really felt like God was calling me into the ministry. Um, I was going through a study, experiencing God, and I just felt like God wanted more out of me. So um, what I did, I did like a lot of other Christians do. Instead of actually following Him, I, I just ran. Um, I kept doing my own thing, thought I would be all right, just you know, continue to go to church, kind of being there on Sundays and Wednesdays, but then going back to my, my job. Finally, and two years later, I realized, you know what? It's time to step out in faith. 
Um, we, had, we were kind of a younger married couple at that point. I was making good money. I had a company car and I had my insurance paid. And um, I was ready to leave that not really knowing what was going to happen. So I, I left that job, started working at a place making about a third of that amount. No car and no insurance. But God has continued to bless us. He's continued to take care of us. Sometimes what happens is we hang on to this so much that we're afraid we try to live both lives. But the thing about us, for us to exercise this faith, we have to realize that it starts with Jesus. He has to be that central figure in our life. Um, I know when I was kind of putting this together, one of the points to focus on the love of our life, and sometimes that is our spouse. Um, That's our boyfriend, our girlfriend, our, our son, our daughter, or maybe our granddaughter, our grandson. The love of our life has to be Christ. And when we see that one, that He has, He models perfection, He gives us this perfect example, but He also knows what the future holds. He knows what lies ahead. Anybody in here um, weather people as far as on TV? All right, good. Um, Because they're one of the few people that can actually be wrong 50% of the time and still keep their job. Have you noticed that? And I know they're trying to do that. They're trying to do the right thing, but they've got all these 3D, 4D, all this fancy stuff. But they don't know what's out there. They don't know what's going to happen. They're trying to help us. But so often when we listen to them, we either don't take the umbrella or do take the umbrella. Maybe we just ought to carry it all the time because they don't really know. But we know that Jesus knows what lies ahead. He knows not only our past and continues to love us, but also knows our future. The rest of verse 12 talks about He is the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. I love that where it says, for the joy set before Him endured the cross. You go back and you read the Scripture and you look at what He went through and how He saw joy out of that because He knew what He was doing was for us. He struggled there. He said, um, right before the cross, but he finished it up by saying, not my will, your will. But he knew what, that, what he was about to do on that cross, what that was going to bring us. That was going to bring us eternal life if we trusted him with our life. It was going to give us hope, just like the song that, that we just got done singing, that hope that gets us through those rough times and peace to make sure that we realize that what we're going through, that we're not alone, that he is right there with us. There's a Christy Knuckles song and a, a Chris Tomlin, actually, I think he's the main one. It's called Jesus, Son of God. And in it, he, she actually sings this very verse about scorning its, its shame. Um, but it talks about this love that the world has never known. Maybe there's somebody in here today that has never experienced that love. Never experienced that true, unconditional love that only comes through Christ. Maybe you've experienced the world's kind of love and you realize how it's here today and sometimes gone tomorrow. The kind of love that God has for us, the only way that we can truly live this life that He lays out in front of us is to put our life in His hands. It's about stepping out in faith. It's about trusting Him with our total being, with everything that we are. So maybe as you came in today, one, you were hoping Dr. Adams was still going to be here, but you realize that that God does love you. And maybe you've been struggling with some of those things I talked about, whether it's the coasting part or or feeling like you're you're all alone. Maybe you're ready to take a step out in faith. Not only to, to join this church, but more importantly than that, to trust Him with your life. 
Because until you get to that point, you're continually going to wake up and you're going to feel empty. You're going to feel that there's more to life than what you've been living. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray for those that are, that are here today. There may be somebody here today that's maybe weren't really sure why they came today, but they've heard a story about somebody that loves them unconditionally. And Lord, they're ready to, to make this day the day where they trust you with their life. Lord, whether it's a young person, whether it's a mom or a dad, brother or sister, Lord, I pray that you would make them realize, Lord, because it's got to come from you. There's no, no more important decision that they'll ever make in their life. I know today as we celebrate Father's Day, we talk about the gifts that we, we give to those, the fathers, Lord, that we remember what they've done for us. But Lord, there's no greater gift that, that we could give to you than our life. Which I pray that if there's somebody here, that they would be willing to, to step out in faith for you. It's not for me, it's not for the, the church, but it's for you. I pray as, they, as we sing this song, Lord, that they would be willing to respond. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.